You're listening to The Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to look at Mark chapter 6, the story of Jesus walking on the water to rescue his disciples who struggled against the headwinds on a stormy sea. We will also draw from Matthew 14 and John 6 because this story is also recorded there. The big idea in this story is that Jesus is the all-sufficient God capable of meeting all of our needs, but we need to call on him for help. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Reading from the New King James Version, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, For they saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. And they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Have you ever experienced major trouble and wondered where God was? Have you ever wondered in those times if God even cared about you? The disciples probably felt this way while rowing against the wind in the middle of the sea. So put yourself in the place of the disciples. Jesus forcefully told his disciples to cross the sea and go to Bethsaida. They started to cross, but they were met with strong headwinds. They made very little progress and struggled for hours in the darkness. The sea continued to get stormy, and now their lives were in danger. They were doing what Jesus told them to do, and now it looked like they were going to die. As we read this story, we understand the danger and the trouble that the disciples were in as they struggled in the middle of the sea. Look at the extent that Jesus went through in order to bring miraculous deliverance to his disciples on this stormy sea. Did you ever think about it? Jesus saw the disciples in trouble, struggling against the wind and the waves of the stormy sea. He walked on the water out to them to help his troubled disciples. Why did Mark tell this story? I believe Mark tells this story in order to communicate a truth. There are several principles found in this story concerning our troubles that we need to look at. So let's unpack this story looking at the relationship between our troubles and God. The first principle is that God often seems distant 
during times of trouble. Verses 45 to 47. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. I am sure all of us have had times when we have said to ourselves, or to God, Where are you, God? I'm in trouble. It appears that God is not around when we're facing troubles. We feel like God has somehow removed himself from us as we face trouble. There are times when we feel distant from God because we have, in fact, distanced ourselves from him. We have moved out from his will and away from him. We've distanced ourselves from God through sin. Jonah is a good example of one who attempted to distance himself from God and from God's will. Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh. Instead, he goes the opposite direction. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59 verse 2. So the Bible tells us that sin will separate us from God. There are many scriptures that talk about how sin distances us from God. The simple cure, of course, is repentance. 1 John 1, 9. But what about the times when we're in God's will and we still find ourselves in trouble and he seems distant from us? This story is an example of such a situation. The disciples attempted to cross the sea because Jesus urged them. In verse 45, it tells us he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. The Bible says that he made his disciples get into the boat. The word made used here in this verse is a very strong, forceful word. It means to strongly urge. In verse 46, it tells us that when he had sent them away, that is the crowd, the multitude, he departed to the mountain to pray. Jesus departs and prays. The evening came. The boat was in the middle of the troubled sea and Jesus was on the land. There are times when we are walking in God's will and the night overtakes us and we ourselves are in the middle of a troubled sea, and God seems distant. Many Christians make the mistake of thinking that obedience to God's will produces smooth sailing, but this is not true. The Bible says, in the world you shall have tribulation. That's John 16 verse 33. When God asks us to do something and things go wrong, we often ask God, why? God, I am doing this for you because you asked me to do this and everything is going wrong. Where are you? Why is this happening to me? This is the way the disciples felt while they fought the waves and the wind on the stormy sea. God may seem distant because we are preoccupied with our troubles. We don't see God coming to our rescue because we are so focused on our problems. There is at least two types of storms that we experience in life. First of all, there's the correcting storms, when God disciplines us for disobedience, like Jonah, 
And then there are perfecting storms when God helps us to grow, like the disciples in the story, who were in the will of God but needed to be perfected. They needed their faith perfected. A good question to ask yourself when you're facing storms is this. Is this a correcting storm or is this a perfecting storm that I'm facing? In our text, we have an example of a perfecting storm. Remember, with a perfecting storm, God seems distant in order to test us and perfect us. So the first principle in this story is that God often seems distant during times of trouble. So let's look at the second principle. God is aware of your troubles. That's verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Jesus saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Mark tells us that Jesus saw the danger the disciples were having on the sea. It was late, the fourth watch of the night. That's about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., the fourth watch. The disciples had been rowing for most of the night and making very little progress. Matthew tells us, that the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's Matthew 14, verse 24. So Matthew tells us that they were in the middle of the sea, and that the disciples were a long distance from land, and that they were in danger. They were fighting a strong headwind. John also adds to the story, and John says, that they had rowed about three or four miles. That's John 6 and verse 19. The disciples were in danger. They were exhausted from rowing against the wind and they were making very little progress. Ever felt like you were making no progress? That God had asked you to do something for him and that you were making two steps forward and then falling back three steps. You are rowing against the wind and you're making very little progress. It just seems like there's a resistance against everything that you do that God has asked you to do. God has called you to do something, but you encounter such strong resistance that you are wearied from the fight. Jesus was aware of their lack of progress and the danger the disciples were in. God is aware of our troubles. This story tells us that Jesus was more than aware of their troubles, that he was concerned enough to walk out to where they were. Jesus walked on the water. What a miracle he did to rescue his disciples on a stormy sea. Jesus came to them in their trouble. Mark 6 verse 48, he came to them walking on the sea. God comes to us in our troubles. He doesn't remain distant or separated from us, but he comes to us. He always comes on time. His time, however, is not our time. Why would Jesus wait until the fourth watch, that's three to six a.m., to go out to meet the disciples on the stormy sea? It was the early hours of the morning and they had been rowing most of the night. In our thinking, Jesus should have come much sooner than this. We always think that God's late. We always think that God should come much sooner than he does. 
God is aware of our troubles, but he doesn't work on our time schedule or do things the way that we think that he should. There are many biblical examples of God doing something in his own time schedule. For instance, there is the example of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha felt that Jesus should have come much sooner and Lazarus, their brother, would not have died. Jesus delayed and did not show up until Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. Then we have the example of Abraham. Abraham waiting for the promised son. That's Genesis 12 through to Genesis 21. In Genesis 12, when God first spoke to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old when God first promised he would birth a nation. Abraham was 99 years old when Isaac was born. That's Genesis 21. Abraham and Sarah waited for 24 years for God to fulfill his promise of a son. Then there's the example of the children of Israel in Egypt. That's Exodus 1 through to Exodus 15. God promised Jacob that he would return Israel to the promised land. The Bible says in Exodus 1 verses 13 and 14 that the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and that they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. Then in Exodus 3 verses 7 and 8 it says, I have, and this is the Lord speaking, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God was aware of the troubles that the Hebrew people were having in Egypt. And God in his time raised up a Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. But Israel was in Egypt for 430 years before that deliverance came. Then it took another 40 years for the Hebrew people to make it to Canaan. So in summarizing, Jesus delayed four days to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. God delayed 24 years to fulfill his promise to Abraham in the birth of a son. And then God delayed 430 years to deliver Israel from Egypt. So God has his own timing, and his timing is often not our timing. God is ultimately aware of what is going on in our lives, the trials and the troubles that we face, and he is there to help us. When Paul was in Corinth, Paul feared for his life because he was preaching the gospel. And look at what God said to him. This is recorded in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. And now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And then Paul was on trial, and he stood alone by himself, the Bible tells us. This is recorded in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, for all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. And then look what it says in the next verse, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17. It says this, 
but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. So I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And so Paul testifies that even though he stood alone and that only the Lord stood with him, that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him to do what God had asked him to do. And then Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28 and verse 20. He is with us wherever we are, whatever we are doing, not just when we are fulfilling the Great Commission, but he is with us always. He is with us and he knows what we are facing. It goes on to tell us in John 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus explains to his disciples, yes, I am about to be crucified. I am about to die, but I will arise again from the dead and I will ascend to the Father, but I will live in you and the Holy Spirit will come to you and be with you and you will not be an orphan. You will not be abandoned. I will come to you and I will send the Holy Spirit to you and you will not be alone. These are the words of assurance that Jesus gives his disciples before he departs from this world. Jesus is aware of our troubles. God is aware of hidden dangers that we are not aware of. The Bible tells us in John 6 and verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So the Bible tells us in our text that Jesus aggressively uh, urged his disciples to get into the boat and to go across the sea to Bethsaida. John gives us some insight that the other two gospel writers do not give us. John tells us why Jesus sent the disciples away and dismissed the crowd. Some of the crowd were planning to take Jesus by force and make him king. They considered themselves an army, looking for a captain to lead them against Rome. After the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd decided that Jesus would be their leader and that he would be the one that would lead them against Rome. Jesus was aware of this danger, but the disciples were completely unaware of it. And this is why Jesus sends his disciples away. He sent his disciples away to protect them from this danger that only he was aware of. God is aware of our troubles even when we are not. To summarize what we've looked at so far, God often seems distant during times of trouble. God is aware of our troubles. Now let's move on to the third principle. God is often not recognized in times of trouble. Verse 49. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. That's Mark 6 verse 49. Matthew gives us the same information as Mark. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. That's Matthew 14, verse 26. When they saw Jesus, they were troubled. They supposed it was a ghost or a water phantom. 
it was additional trouble. It was double trouble. The disciples were filled with troubles. When they saw Jesus, he appeared to be double trouble or additional trouble. The disciples were already fighting the sea. They were already fighting the waves. They were already in trouble. And here they turn and they see Jesus, thinking that he was a ghost or a water phantom. So Jesus appears to be additional trouble or double trouble. Even when Jesus came to help them, they saw him as trouble. We are so preoccupied with our troubles that we don't recognize the presence of God. We no longer see God even when he is intervening, even when he is stepping in. God steps into our troubled world, but we cannot see him. This is more common than we would like to admit. When God does show up in our troubles, we are surprised because we don't expect him to come. Matthew gives us some additional information about this incident. Matthew 14 verses 28 to 31. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walks on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cries out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretches out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Matthew records that Peter recognized the voice of Jesus when he spoke out. And Peter answers and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's Matthew 14, verse 28. Only Matthew records this episode of Peter walking on the water. As soon as Jesus said, come, Peter jumps out of the boat and begins to walk towards him on the water. What a miracle. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to do the impossible, to walk on the water. But the minute he became preoccupied with the wind and the storm and the waves and the circumstances around him, he begins to sink. Once he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. Frantically, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. The Lord took him by the hand, gently rebuking him and his little faith and brought him into the boat. The point is that we so often get overwhelmed by our circumstances and lose our faith in God. We take our eyes off Jesus. We put our eyes on the wrong thing and it grows bigger and we begin to lose faith and we begin to lose heart. And this is what happened to Peter on the water, that he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to look at his circumstances and the impossibility of walking on water and he begins to lose heart and lose faith and he begins to sink. When Jesus is with us, we don't have to be afraid, but we must keep our eyes on Jesus. No, I am not telling you to ignore or deny your circumstances or your troubles. Keep the circumstances and the troubles in your peripheral vision, but keep Jesus in the center of your vision. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse two, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. The New King James Version says it this way, 
looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The story I'm about to tell you is absolutely not true. Mr. Foolish once was instructed by a police officer that he should evacuate his house because of an oncoming storm. Serious flooding was expected. Mr. Foolish decided that he was going to stay and protect his house and that God would protect him from the effects of that storm. Later, as the storm got worse, the flooding came and Mr. Foolish was forced to retreat to his second story. A man in a boat came by and offered to rescue him. Mr. Foolish replied that he would stay. It couldn't get much worse and the water seems to be subsiding. But the water didn't subside. It arose even further, forcing Mr. Foolish to get onto his roof. The sun came out, the storm clouds passed by, and a helicopter flew by and offered to rescue him. Mr. Foolish waved the helicopter off, thinking to himself that the storm was now past. The sun had come out, the storm clouds were gone, and that he would be fine. So the helicopter flew off, but the floodwaters didn't subside. They arose even more, and eventually Mr. Foolish was drowned. When he reached heaven, he asked God about the incident. Leading up to his death, Mr. Foolish said, Lord, I believed that you would protect me. Why did I die? What happened? The Lord said to him, I sent three people to rescue you. We don't recognize God's help when he sends it. To summarize what we've talked about so far, God often seems distant during times of trouble. God is aware of our troubles and God is often not recognized in times of trouble. Let's move on to our fourth and last principle. God is committed to helping us in troubled times. Verses 50 to 52. For they all saw him and were troubled. Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. This story illustrates this truth that God is committed to helping us in times of trouble. It appeared that the Lord had forgotten them. They were alone to fight the heavy weather and the continuous headwinds all by themselves. In the darkest hour, in their greatest need, in a total unexpected way, Jesus came to their rescue. It seemed that God was thoughtless about their troubles, but nothing could be further from the truth. He talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. That's Mark 6 verse 50. The New Living Translation says it this way, but Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. What did Jesus do? He spoke words of comfort to them. Verse 50, be of good cheer. These are words of reassurance. The NIV says, take courage. And the New Living Translation says it this way, it's all right. So Jesus was saying to them, it's all right. In verse 50, it goes on to say, it is I. Literally, this means I am. The Old Testament term for God's self-revelation to Moses. I am. 
Jesus was saying, I am God. Do not be afraid. He calms their fears and he literally is saying to them, stop fearing. The phrase, do not be afraid, is better rendered, stop fearing. Jesus tells them, I am God. Stop fearing. In all three accounts of this story, Matthew, Mark, and John, these words are recorded. It is I, do not be afraid. It's like these words of self-revelation were burned into the minds of the disciples. Matthew says it, Mark says it, John says it. It is I, do not be afraid. I am God, stop fearing. Jesus was reminding his disciples who he was. He was God. Not only did Jesus speak words of comfort, but he also went up into the boat to them, the Bible tells us. There is something about the presence of Jesus which makes our troubles seem much smaller. This is true of the disciples after Christ's resurrection from the dead. It was the presence of Jesus that caused their fears and their trouble and their confusion to melt away. In most cases, it is the presence of God that helps us face and walk through our difficulties. Just knowing that God is present is help and comfort enough. The Bible says the wind ceased. The wind died down when Jesus came onto the scene. Jesus didn't even use words to rebuke the wind or the waves. He simply was there. Without a word, the storm ceased. John adds another interesting fact in this account. He says, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. When Jesus stepped into the boat, they immediately found themselves at their destination. Jesus supernaturally transported the disciples and their boat to their destination. This miracle is stated without explanation. It's almost a footnote in the verse itself. They did not have to row any further. The Lord brought them to dry land instantaneously. Look at the miracles that Jesus had performed in this short time, proving that he was God. There was the feeding of the 5,000 men, because this story immediately follows the story of the feeding of the 5,000. That miracle is also understated because it tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. So probably about 10,000 people were fed that day, including women and children. Then there was a walking on the water. And not only did Jesus walk on the water, but Peter also was enabled to walk on the water. And then there was a stopping of the stormy sea. And then there was a supernatural transportation of the disciples in their boat to land. No wonder the Bible says that the disciples were astonished at what they saw. That's the New Living Translation, Mark 6, verse 51. They were utterly astonished. The followers were greatly amazed, another translation says. God is committed to helping us in times of trouble. Don't ever doubt it. But there's one more fact that Mark adds to this story. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. 
the Bible says here in Mark, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Why does Mark refer back to the feeding of the 5,000? How does this relate to this story? Mark was simply saying that the disciples had not understood Jesus' miraculous multiplication of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000, that they did not understand that miracle. What Jesus was attempting to point out to his disciples from that miracle the disciples were unable to learn the lesson taught by this great miracle. The lesson taught by that great miracle was Jesus is the all-sufficient God. He is the great I Am. They had failed to see the application to their own need in the stormy sea. That Jesus was the all-sufficient God that they had failed to call on to help them in their time of need in the stormy sea. Jesus is the all-sufficient God, capable of meeting all of their needs. What is it that stops us from getting God's help when we are in need? Is it God's unwillingness to help us? No. In this story, the point is that fear and unbelief prevented the disciples from calling on the all-sufficient God or recognizing the all-sufficient God. Look at the comments at the end of each story. In Matthew 14, verse 31, it tells us that Jesus says to Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why aren't you seeing who I am and what I can do for you if you call out to me? In essence, this is what Jesus was saying to Peter. In Mark chapter 6, verse 52, it says, For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. What Peter was saying here is that he did not understand the significance of that miracle, that Jesus was attempting to point out to his disciples who he was, what he could do for them, that he was the all-sufficient God. And Peter and the disciples completely missed the point of that miracle and failed to apply it in their need on the sea. And then in John chapter 6, verse 19, it simply says this, they were afraid. In all three accounts, in Matthew, in Mark, and in John, these words are recorded. It is I, do not be afraid. What was Jesus saying? I am God, stop fearing. I am the all-sufficient God sufficient enough to meet every need in your life. You have no need to fear. I am. Thanks for listening to Relevant Truth. We will be back with another podcast in two weeks. Next time, we will be talking about the testing of our faith. Mm-hmm.